the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into hour two. We do so delightfully with my good friend Sam Stone. He is a candidate for city council here in Phoenix, District 6, uh, which is uh, from whence we broadcast here uh, in the um, in the valley, he is also someone who likes to talk politics. Has his own radio show here every Saturday afternoon, doing just that on all kinds of things, and just become a really, really good go to and, and brain uh, for us on this show. We love having him on every week. He's happy to take your calls as well. So I'll give you the phone number six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Like me, Sam will take. Uh, uh, we'll give advice on anything, just not law, medicine, or uh, financial. Um, right, Sam? Welcome back to the show. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I might do some yapping, but I'm not going to deliver any actual advice on those subjects. No. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, you, are, uh, you are doing an event this afternoon, a little later in the evening, if people want to help out. Uh, yeah, sure. yeah, go ahead and mention it. Absolutely. So that's why I'm not in the studio. Maybe this doesn't sound quite as good as usual, oh, but uh, I'm up at at my office in Scottsdale, which for Phoenix City rates, I kind of got to apologize for that one, but I'm not uh, foolish enough to spend campaign donations renting an office when I already have one. There so you go. Uh, we're up here in, in Scottsdale. Uh, folks can go and uh, come by here. It's, it's 10603 North Hayden Road, Suite 108. Uh, from 5.30 to about 7.30, 8 o'clock tonight, we're going to be watching the uh, Thursday night football game, got some beer, got some pizza, and we're going to be doing letters to the voters. So, nice. Uh, fantastic volunteer. Envelope stuffing with pizza and beer. Old school campaigning. That's how we all cut our teeth in our first. What was the first campaign? Yeah. Go ahead. Back to the basics, yeah. baby. Well, do you remember the first campaign you looked envelopes for or did anything like that for? Oh, gosh, yes, Seth. And, and I, so here's the thing. When I went uh, today to get prepped for this tonight, I went to Safeway and I bought a big thing of, of kitchen sponges that I'm chopping up so people don't have to lick the envelopes. Because yeah. I remember back 14 years ago, uh, I licked about 10,000 envelopes over the course of a, about a month and a half. And I think I was sick that entire time. That no, is, no human should oh, have to do that. No, 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 no. Really? I remember my – you want to know the first campaign? Ironically enough, the first campaign I ever worked on uh, – as most of the audience and you know, Sam, I didn't start off as a conservative or a Republican. I was a young kid, and it was the 1983 mayor's race. I was licking envelopes for Terry Goddard. <laughs> little irony, huh? <laughs> yeah, that solid iron. But at least frankly. it was a city. It was a city of Phoenix race. So, so uh, right? at, at least there is that. Sam, I, at this point, if Terry had his way, that event would require thirty-seven disclosure. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's right. It was a simpler time. It was a much simpler time, and it was a better Democratic Party too. Uh, let me yeah, uh, let me say that thing. it was a much better Democratic Party. Um, 
Sam, uh, anything about the city of Phoenix you want to talk about? I got a whole bunch of national news I want to run through your brain, but uh, if you want to start off with saying something about your candidacy or an issue uh, going on in the city of Phoenix, take it away. Yeah, you know, we're we're seeing crimes. The crime stats going to be coming out here very shortly, and we know we're hearing behind the scenes Phoenix had another bump in uh, the crime rate, in especially violent crime rate. Uh, it just continues to rise and rise and rise. We have to get that under control, and obviously that's going to be a big focus when I'm in office there. But at the end of the day, this comes down to properly supporting our police and not throwing them under the bus for for political gain with the far left every chance they have. And whether this council will heed that warning and see the lives they are costing and do something about it, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm not going to hold my, my breath or, or even try to cross my fingers because dealing with, with some of these folks – you know, you've got some people in there who straight up don't like the cops yeah. uh, and, and make it known. And that has been deleterious to our force. We've got to turn that around. So. Good for you. Good for you, Sam. Uh, again, his website, samstone.vote. Uh, you're willing to take calls on just about anything. I did a um, – I want to go to a call. I'll set it up for you, Sam, real quick. Uh, and then I want to get to some issues on my plate uh, to run through your brain. But uh, I did a monologue in the first hour playing off uh, the importance of where's this culture going to get its definitions of good and evil and right and wrong when we are increasingly uh, divorcing ourselves from the classic teachings of Plato and Aristotle and church and synagogue attendance is way down and uh, people's cultural DNA and Hugh Hewitt's phrase is more informed by Netflix than than uh, than 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 the church, so I, I kind of did a talk about that and how important it is as a conservative movement in the Republican Party that we get this right. I have a caller named Christopher who's on the line who wants to throw something at us. Christopher, feel free. Welcome. You're on with me and Sam Stone. Thank you very much, um, Hi, Sam. The um, hey, Christopher. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a uh, a county in Nevada, and I guess there's three other counties across the United States that have taken on this issue, and it has to do with, um, uh, well, I'll read from a small excerpt from this, and it says, uh, abuse of the constitutionally protected rights of the citizen will be dealt with with criminal activity, and uh, and it's uh, setting the standard of any anything that we have has to go through the Constitution or the law is not valid. And um, I don't know why we can't do something like that. You know, it, uh, I'll because let anything- Sam take a stab at this in a second. I'll preface it, Sam, by saying this. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of efforts to amend the Constitution, uh, get constitutional changes. The problem is... As I see it, some I'm for, some I'm against. But the problem is, as I see it, is, you know, the judiciary. You can pass any constitutional amendment you want if you can pass it. It's a heavy lift. But, you know, there are clear constitutional commands in the First Amendment, which is as clear as as, as daylight or the Second Amendment. And then it's the judiciary that makes a hash of it. It's the judiciary that matters to me more than anything else, Sam. But I'd love your take on it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I think Christopher's talking more about a state law. So, if it, Christopher, correct me if I'm wrong. You're talking here about a state law uh, in a specific county. You could obviously pass it statewide. Uh, that if there's any federal rules, regulations, or laws that violate the Constitution, that those uh, would con- that enforcement of those would constitute a criminal act against the citizens of that county or state. 
That is. Yeah. Christopher's okay. agreeing with okay. you, Sam. He has a light, yep. light light line, but yeah, he's agreeing with you, right? But still, gotcha. it's the same okay. problem of a judiciary that needs to enforce it, right? Well, Seth, you're exactly right. So so there's the hitch, and then the other hitch is politicians change. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to make something like that uh, less intransigent, you would probably actually need to go to the ballot. Yeah. Uh, here in, in Arizona and in Nevada, you can do that. Uh, you would have to make it a state constitutional amendment where the so now that you've got, for instance, Katie Hobbs and Chris Mays, they're going to ignore you. Watch. They're already yeah. signaling yeah. this, that they're going to ignore any law that they don't like, and yeah. then they're going to make up laws yeah. as they go, yeah. um, not in the legal way, you know, but just in terms of their uh, executive authorities and that sort of thing. It, so that's a really tricky slope. I, I, I mean, I agree 100% with the sentiment. I yeah. think every state should have that law, period. Yeah. Yeah. And and I would love every state to have that in their cost. Yeah, I would too. And and let me just reiterate, while it's a good idea as far as it goes, it will not be a vouchsafed idea if we keep electing Democratic presidents and Democratic governors who have the power of judicial appointment. If you want to affix the Constitution with some level of fixity, it's the judiciary that's going to make all the difference in the world here. Um, it, it's, 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 yeah, yeah go ahead. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Seth. I think that's absolutely essential because, look, what we're saying, I mean, they call conservative judges fundamentalists. But what they mean by that is that conservative judges actually still believe in the law yeah. and don't believe that the law should be changed with the whim of, you know, the far-left Twitterati, which is – frankly, how most of the Democrat-appointed judges across this country at the state, federal, and local level appear to be operating these days is on a basis that completely ignores the law uh, in favor of their own ideology. That's exactly right. And, and, And as long as we're willing to vote for politicians that even actively say they're not going to enforce the laws that the that their 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 citizens whether they're voters in Arizona or whether they're nationally voted for i mean you've got that problem then on hyperspeed or on in, in hyperspeed because it's it's an entire view of what you might call constitutionalism that's a word we might want to think about bringing back to our political rhetoric constitutionalism does what the people vote for matter is it sanctified and are the judges going to enforce it uh, so long as it doesn't violate the Constitution? And when actors, political actors and elected officials do violate the Constitution, is there going to be a reprise? Is there going to be a consequence? That's the kind of discussion and thinking that I think we need to have more. Sam, i got to take a quick commercial break. I want to talk to you about the airlines when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Sam Stone. Samstone.vote. I just got a thing in the mail today uh, making sure that I am uh, – I am uh, all good with the information they have so that I can vote for Sam Stone. So be on the lookout in the mail. This is an all-mail-in election, uh, I believe. Sam will correct me if I'm wrong on the other side. Sam Stone and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. He's a radio host in his own right, heard here every Saturday afternoon, and he is a candidate for city council here in District 6, Phoenix. Uh, SamStone.vote is the website. Sam, I was right about that, right? This is an all-mail-in election, right? Yeah, it's an all-mail election. Every registered voter in the city of Phoenix, about 144,000 people in our district, 
are going to get ballots in the mail. Those should hit right around February 15th. And I got a validation kind of mailer today, just FYI. I don't know if you've checked your mail yet today, Sam, but maybe I, I haven't. Okay. But you know what I'm yeah, talking about. They do, yeah, they do send those out to everybody. It's, you know, it's kind yep. of a. It, it, to me, this is okay, Seth. This is—I mean—we're getting into the election stuff, which I know we weren't really talking about. But it's okay. this is how yeah. uh, this is how they claim that they update their voter rolls. Yeah. Right. So, but what happens when that goes somewhere where nothing happened? You know, I mean, someone moved or something like that. It's just totally ineffective. Right. But that all that said, I'm not really worried about this election. I'm, I'm very confident in the city clerk, yeah. um, you know, in terms of the count and all that kind of thing. So that's not an issue, but um, that just highlights yet another reason. We, we really got to start looking at Florida and figure out how to do elections. Uh, all all true and all fair, but let us both reiterate, I think, uh, an important point here, which is for those that do have hesitancy about mailing in votes, this is one that you better not have hesitancy about this is your only way to vote for no, you, yeah. you can't have right. hesitancy right. that's the <laughs> only way it. i mean you can yeah. you can go in i i uh, for three four days uh, uh saturday sunday monday tuesday of the election you can go in there's a handful of locations like at our libraries where you can drop your ballot off um but they're not printing ballots there you know it's not a it's not a poll all right in the traditional yeah sense. yeah so drop yeah take take the mail but vote here and, and vote for sam all right i have a you're, yeah, you're kind of a go politi- ahead and get it back in the mail yeah you're a political junkie like i am you like political trivia let me throw a few names yeah. at you you tell me who these people are maria sino mary peters michael huerta stephen bradbury lena hurdle you're probably as dumbfounded as everyone else in the audience. These are the last several secretaries, U.S. secretaries of transportation. Well, so, so a couple of those names gave it away. Oh, you, you got it? Okay. It, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm a little too much of a junkie on this one. All right. But, yeah, nobody nobody generally, like, nobody really knows that the secretary of transportation. Until name, now. In this case. <laughs> Until now. Yeah, well. I mean, look, Pete Buttigieg is not in there because he knows the first thing about transportation. Right. He doesn't. Uh, he's in there as a placeholder to possibly replace Biden someday. I mean, they're giving him a platform, and they're literally giving him billions of dollars of taxpayer money. The Biden administration has given Buttigieg billions of dollars money, and he's running around the country. So I'm here in Phoenix and Tucson. They're building bridges to nowhere. They're doing all... That's boat buying. I mean, that's what this guy's doing, and that's what he's doing going after the airlines, too, and it's a joke. It is kind of interesting that with this Southwest issue and the other airlines that are having slightly lesser issues, uh, that he has become the public face of it, because I just don't remember secretaries of transportation being the public face of these things. Usually, it's the head of the FAA or the president. People remember Reagan and the PACO strike. He was out there doing the press conferences and taking the questions and making the hard points. It wasn't the Secretary of Transportation. Actually, in the PACO strike, it was Reagan and the Attorney General, um, William French Smith. This is not usually something you give to the Secretary of Transportation. Well, the Secretary of Transportation has traditionally been someone who has actual expertise yeah, at also, their job. Right. 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 And, and their job is to execute the, you know, the duties of that office. But that's not Pete Buttigieg's job. No. Pete Buttigieg's job is there to be an emergency insurance policy for a Joe Biden stroke. Exactly right. 
Exactly right. That's exactly right. And do you have, I mean, any other thoughts on this Southwest problem? I mean, well, there's a lot I, of I mean, theories. A, a bunch of them. Yeah. First, first, Southwest is a very <laughs> How did I fun. know that? Yeah. I, no, you got me fired up. This is one I'm really ticked about. Buttigieg just ticked me off on this one because pure and simple, look, go back. When we deregulated, when we pulled the government out of the airline industry, transportation, air transportation became cheaper and all of a sudden became available to the masses. Yeah. Cheaper, better service, quality across the board. Now what have we seen? The last 20 years, government regulation creeping in more and more and more, faster and faster, and the quality of service is going down, problems are going up, cost is going up. And Southwest, I mean, pure and simple, they had a problem with their software, right? So, so they had some bad software, and I've heard some different stories. One, that it was an old system that needs to be replaced, or two, that it was actually a brand-new system that hadn't been you know, fully tested for this kind of volume of issues. Whichever the case, look, they're going to fix it. They're a for-profit business. Their business model is threatened by their failures, which means they will respond with alacrity, and they will respond effectively. The federal government stepping in on this will do nothing but make the problem worse and increase the cost of air travel for consumers. And Pete Buttigieg is, first, he's too ignorant of the darn job he has to even understand that. But, two, his worldview is entirely – his worldview is a single, narrow – it's a it's – a, um, like a sniper scope on him in the Oval Office. Yeah. And that's all he can see, and that's all he cares about. Yeah, he's going to milk this. I mean, in ways where, you know, it's funny, he's now out and about in public when on other issues in the past year and a half or two he should have been and was nowhere to be found back when we were having real transportation issues that really could have been and should have been under his purview. Do you, People don't know this. This was a story for about a week uh, about two months ago, a baby formula shortage in this country, it's still yeah. there. It's gotten worse. No one's talking about it. We are not able to no. deliver goods in this country. No, the supply line problems are are actually far more of a federal issue. Yeah. Because a lot of it, again, actually relates to regulations yep. that are in place that are preventing those ports from operating efficiently. I believe he was on maternal and, leave for this, or paternal leave, or whatever they want to yeah, call well, it. Well, I mean, call it paternal leave, call it maternal yeah. leave, call it whatever you want. What it was was running away from a problem he didn't want to face because he doesn't know anything, so he has no ability to step in and fix it. And the only thing his regulators know is how to increase regulation and make these ports less functional. So, I mean, very simple saying, you know, things, uh, what, what is the, the act relating, uh, Romney brings this up all the time, he's 100% right on this, the act relating to U.S. flagged ships. Um, oh, I'm you not know, sure. The, all, I, okay. I'm, I know what you mean, but yeah, I don't so, know the name of it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's an act that basically makes it impossible for U.S. shipping companies to operate in our waters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and all you have to do to get rid of that is just get rid of the regulation, get rid of the law, change it, and get out of the way. If you put money into modernizing these ports... That would go a long way, too, but these are federally managed. Yep. They're managed with the states. They're managed with the federal government, and everything is done as inefficient as possible. Part of the backup in California, ridiculously enough, is that California has implemented requirements for a, that you cannot buy a diesel-powered tractor-trailer. You have to buy an electric-powered yep. tractor-trailer, yep. but yep. They, they, don't, they don't sell electric-powered tractor-trailers yet, right. Sap. That's right. 
That's right. No, I know it. I know it. I, I want to run something by you that I was kicking around in the earlier, in the previous hour, Sam, as well, uh, when we come back. And it's about this hullabaloo over this uh, congressman out of uh, New York who's evidently been uh, been making up large swaths of his resume and, and the double standards on that. Uh, can we do some of that when we come right back? Santos oh, you bet. Congressman Santos, incoming Congressman Santos. I am Seth Leaps, and he is Sam Stone. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sam Stone is my guest, candidate for city council, samstone.vote, and along with his uh, partner uh, in radio, uh, Chuck Warren, he hosts a radio show here every Saturday at 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds. By the way, Sam, uh, is it easier to host or be a guest? What do you prefer? Uh, it's actually easier to host. You think? Okay. I, I, I do, um, or, or, well, let me correct that. I mean, it's easier to be a guest if you're in studio. Okay, okay. I actually struggle like this when I'm on the phone and I can't see the person I'm talking to. It's yeah. easier for me when, I, when I'm watching the clock and doing that. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's, uh, interesting. I've asked a lot of people who are in the, those positions, you know, your Pragers or whatever, and the answers are all over the place. Some people prefer to, 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 to be the host. Some per- people prefer to be the guest. Uh, and I, I was just curious about that. So this um, there's a uh, district, congressional district in New York, the third congressional district. They just elected a uh, incoming congressman, a freshman congressman for the Republican Party there, George Santos. No one would normally know this guy's name, much less what this district is, save for the fact that CBS and The Washington Post and CNN and NPR and the AP and everyone else is making a uh, an issue of uh, his lying about his resume in large ways, uh, in big ways, big things, everything from his family to his education to his religion. I'm not sympathetic to him, I have to tell you, Sam, but whence all of a sudden uh, does his truth uh, not count um, while Joe Biden's almost entire resume of biography has been falsified and he's been caught on it? Elizabeth Warren gets a professorship at Harvard, a professorship at Harvard based on lying about her biography, never mind gets to stay in the U.S. Senate. Um, the senator from Connecticut, what's his name, uh, former attorney general there, uh, Blumenthal, lies about his Vietnam record. No one gives two hoots about any of that. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe George Santos can begin to hang a lantern on some of this stuff. But what's your thought? Well, I, I mean, I have two thoughts. One, look, I mean, in being honest, yeah, the other guy should resign. I, I, it's actually incredible to me. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine today. It is it is astounding to me that this man made it through a primary and a general. What happened to Oppo Research? Now. Yeah, right. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. I mean, good grief. Yeah. Um, I, but look, the, the double standard you pointed to is alive and in growing stronger. I mean, you know, look, I, I think the guy is a, is a, he's clearly a fraud. He shouldn't be there. Um, you know, claiming Jewish heritage. He's not Jewish. He claimed to go to every school he claimed to go to from, from kindergarten on up. He didn't go no, no to. No records of that. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't work for any of the companies he said he worked with. I mean, this is amazing. This is like that movie, um, Catch Me If You Can, a little bit. Well, I think it is, and actually that brings me to my second point. Boy, uh-huh. I'm probably going to get beat up speaking by some people. Speaking of airlines, yeah, okay. All right. yeah, <laughs> speaking of this, but um, uh, I'll, I'll fly this plane right into my own building okay. here. Um, <laughs> right. if, if, if I were him, I wouldn't resign. I wouldn't do it. I would sit it out, make them throw me out. Look, collect your checks. 
his career, his life is over because he's an idiot, because he lied and ran for something that, you know, maybe he is qualified to do if he wasn't even lying about it. I, I don't think it takes qualified to clear a field of Democrats and Republicans and get elected, I suppose, yeah. uh, and be articulate enough to do that. But. It uh, you know if he if he ends up staying if he ends up staying um uh, my my suggestion is that he hang a lantern on all these bigger lies that bigger office holders have been living off of and getting elected off of for years including everything well, that Joe of, Biden has said absolutely and one of the things that I like most about Carrie Lake is that when people hit her with stuff like that she turns around yeah. and does exactly yeah. that yeah no, right yeah. back and I think. Every Republican in this country needs to do that. Make journalists so do time, their job, yeah. Yeah, every time this guy is asked about his lies, he should say, well, I did, but so did Joe Biden, and go start going through the yeah. list. So did Richard Blumenthal. Yeah, Joe Biden said I mean, he just, went to the border. Does anyone have a record yeah. of that? Joe Biden said he marched for civil rights. Does anyone have a record of that? Joe Biden said he was arrested trying to see Nelson Mandela. Does anyone have a record of that? Uh, Joe Bi- Yeah, right. on and on and on we could do this. Yeah, just every time that question comes up and, and have a huge list, mm-hmm. keep using different parts of it, and just keep coming back with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, at the end of the day, this man is an unethical piece of garbage who shouldn't be in Congress. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I think if you have to lie like that to get elected, it's pretty pathetic. But at the end of the day, the double standard is actually much more significant yep. than this man. I agree. And that's where the story should be. Uh, let me talk to you a little bit about, uh, speaking of double standards, the way the FBI is trying to defend itself in light of uh, the Twitter releases. Can we talk a little bit about oh. that on the other side? Good am, grief, can we? Okay. <laughs> I am Seth Leafson. He is Sam Stone. We'll be right back. Sam Stone is our guest. He is candidate for city council here in District 6. SamStone.vote is his website. You can hear him every Saturday afternoon at 3, along with his partner, Chuck Warren, in Breaking Battlegrounds. Sam, it's amazing how much coverage uh, that District 3 in New York is getting compared to what I think really is the biggest story of the year, uh, all of this very much reminds me of something C.S. Lewis once said, uh, that the use of fashions in modern times is to focus on the small things rather than the big things. It's kind of like running for fire hoses when there's a flood. I'm talking about what was learned about Twitter, the FBI's response to it. It's getting almost no media coverage. I think two stories in the New York Times total, one of them not even referencing the underlying problems, just the FBI's response to it. Here's what we learned. Uh, that the FBI was grooming Twitter executives for months in advance of the release of the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop story to compel them to kill the story. It referred myriad tweets concerning inherently political matters to Twitter's censorship team for purging. So many, in fact, that during one such censorship request, a Twitter employee described the review of the possible violative content as, quote, a monumental undertaking, close quote, flagging specific Twitter accounts for the platform to take action against based exclusively on their being conservatives who were supporting Donald Trump and paying Twitter three and a half million bucks for its time and effort in censoring Americans. And that the story of the year gets no media compared to any number of much, much smaller things. Your take, sir. Well, the media is cheering on what the FBI is doing. Yeah, they can't admit it. it. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, that's what it comes down to. But this is incredibly worrying. And you're right, Seth. This is the story of the year. I mean, Elon Musk basically paid $44 billion for a FOIA, Mm -hmm. for a Freedom of Information Act (laughs) request, for things that we should have been able to know uh, without him having to spend that money. And, I mean, this is absolutely a travesty. Look, Democrats and the left love to throw around the F word, fascism. The right is full of fascists. Well, here's the thing. Under Donald Trump as president and under Bush previously, um, you know, all the way back uh, with Republicans in Congress, I can't point to, and, and if the left can, you know, send me the example, but I can't point to a single thing that they have done in terms of using government power in a way that is inappropriate and fascist or authoritarian. On the other hand, the left is now engaging in what every uh, evil regime in the history of this world, whether you want to call them fascist or authoritarian or dictators, um, you know, it's China today, it's it's Pol Pot in the past, it's the Soviet Union, uh, it is Germany, it's Mussolini, it's all of these these people that have come to power in authoritarian regimes have started by using the media to limit public discussion, taking control of and using the media to limit public discussion and prevent their enemies from saying things that they don't want. And they view us as enemies. And so there's no boundaries. When you're dealing with an enemy, you're dealing with someone that you see as kill or be killed. Mm -hmm. And you're not dealing with just another citizen who has a differing point of view. And so they're justifying a level of fascism and authoritarianism here that's underlying this story that is absolutely, should be absolutely terrifying to every right-thinking American citizen. You know, for almost 200 years, we viewed the role of the press and the reason they invoke the First Amendment and the reason the First Amendment was put into our Bill of Rights as the, the bulwark, the thing that shields us from a government becoming authoritarian here. And it was the role of the media that always understood that. Hence, you had such famous cases that I think every government student once upon a time learned. I can tell you every law student once upon a time learned the Pentagon Papers case. Let's let's just remind of a very simple, basic principle of what the role of the media here was. And let me quote from the Pentagon Papers case. This is uh, from what uh, Hugo Black and William Douglas, good liberals, wrote in that case. Quote, The press was to serve the governed, not the governors. The government's power to censor the press was abolished so that that the press would remain forever free to censure, criticize, the government. Has the entirety of journalism surrendered this? Yes, is the answer, nearly. Nearly. I mean, you know, Glenn Glenn Greenwald, who I really appreciate his work, right? Um, He's a left-leaning guy. Um, you know, gay guy lives with his husband in, I think, Brazil now. Um, he is the guy who, who, you know, broke the WikiLeaks story um, with Julian Assange, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you're talking about one of the great journalists, one of the people who has held government accountable. He created a, a, a new – he left the New York Times and went and created a new media outlet, The Intercept, to be able to speak freely once again, to get out of the heel of corporate journalism, which has gone completely into bed with the U.S. security state apparatus. And then it, they, they actually stole that from him. The editors that he hired then turned it into just another, you know, government mouthpiece. And they wouldn't let him publish, you know, the things he wanted to. So now he's out uh, on his own with a, a third iteration on Substack, 
I highly encourage people to follow him. There are other good journalists out there like him. Barry Weiss is another one. Um, you know that that maybe they're from the left, but they're honest. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned Barry Weiss and and uh, who was uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald. Uh, and, uh, of course, Taibbi, Matt Taibbi used to be that. with the Rolling Stone. It is interesting. These were leftists who were with mainstream media publications, and they just said, okay, we are now in a world of something up with which we can no longer put. Uh, you know, so well, they're honest journalists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. so I, I, I've met – I have never met Glenn Greenwald or talked to him. We had Barry Weiss actually on our, our radio program um, and and I've met Matt Taibbi is actually one of Chuck Warren's. He and they're not good friends, but someone he knows fairly well. And so I've gotten to know him a little through through Chuck, uh, my radio show co-host. And so, look, these people they they are Democrats. They're they're left leaning in their own lives, mm-hmm. but they have striven their entire journalist, their entire professional careers, to be purebred journalists, to just tell the truth. And sure, there's a little flavor of their own point of view that gets in there, but they, they've tried to limit that. They, you know, we all do that to some extent. And they, these people are honest. I will give them kudos and credit all day long. But the rest of their profession is, it's not an embarrassment. It's not, it is, it is a harmful institution now to the future of this country. They are actively working with government. And, Look at these security state apparatuses, the FBI, the CIA, all of them. Look at them throughout history. I mean, we have, we have a hundred years of history with these institutions. When they start playing in the political realm, their judgment is historically world-shakingly awful. Right. They have screwed up more countries around this earth than you can shake a stick at, and now they're screwing up this one. Yeah, including this one. I thought, you know, the other thing we learned about in at least maybe in American history courses were the Frank Church Committee hearings from 1975, which is what, what, what originally exposed so much of this stuff to the American people when the FBI and the CIA was engaging in domestic political opera- operations. But, you know, if ever there were a time to say this is why eternal vigilance, you think you solve a problem, you, ha- you no problem is ever permanently solved in this country, Sam, which is why I'm so excited for your candidacy. You want to uh, wrap up with some concluding thoughts when we come right back? Absolutely. All right, good. Maybe uh, maybe a good wish for the uh, new year for everyone as well. I am Seth Liebson. Yes, he is Sam Stone. Samstone.vote. Your candidate, my candidate for city council. Could you could you make that song these days? I don't know if you could. I just saw the American. Uh, this is this is great. I mean, this is if you want a sign of the end of the 21st century, the end of uh, the American century, uh, the American Psychological Association just wrote that traditional masculinity is to be officially considered harmful. OK, there you go. No more songs about men. No more Rudyard Kipling readings of if. Uh, Sam Stone. No, there's, there's, uh, <laughs> a, there's a great piece in the Wall Street Journal today. I highly recommend you you look at Rock and Roll Needs Rebels. Oh, good. Uh, and it talks about talks about exactly that. Oh, and, no and kidding. the fact that the, yeah, a handful of, of older rockers uh, like Van Morrison who've come out with stuff recently and aren't 100% behind the leftist uh, dogma. 
are, are just being taken apart over it. Oh, fantastic. Um, Thanks for the tip. I, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I, I might have missed it otherwise. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, Sam Stone has been our guest this hour. We're appreciative uh, to you, Sam, for always doing this on Thursday. SamStone.vote is your website. You are running for city council. The campaign is kicking off in earnest. You're having a pizza party tonight to stuff envelopes, and uh, we're heading into a new year. Your last uh, words uh, on this show for this year, sir. Let's put aside politics for a second and just wish everyone a very happy new year. And, you know, uh, don't uh, don't take it too easy on yourself, but don't beat yourself up too much if you blow those New Year's resolutions by January 2nd, like like I do every year. (laughs) I'm just getting to work on my 2022 resolutions. (laughs) Yeah, I I made one back in like 96. still kind of about to start. Uh, We'll see. Uh, But no, look, folks. Obviously, I think a lot of us have had, uh, have had, I mean, good times personally, but a lot of us are very concerned about this country. It's been a rough couple of years with COVID. 2021 wasn't much better. 2022 didn't seem to be much. Right. Yeah. Um, let's, let's all work together and make 2023 a better year. Let's find ways, even if it's outside of politics, to really be able to love and enjoy our lives, our families, the people we have around us, our friends. Um, you know, make a new friend this year. If you don't do anything else, do that. That's um, nice. And That's nice. Make a new friend I, yeah, this I year. Think, I like that. Yeah, that might that might actually end up being my my New Year's resolution. That's really resolution. nice. Make a new friend this year. When I look back at the blessings of this year, uh, and it has been a hard year. You're right. But when I look back on the blessings, it's the friendships I've made, uh, and I can think of four in particular. Uh, one of them being you, Sam. Uh, we've known each other Likewise. for many years. We've worked together. This was the year that uh, I would consider that um, you and I got so much the closer, and I'm the better for it. So thank you for being uh, the kind of friend that Aristotle says is the best kind. The best kind of friend Aristotle says is someone who makes you a better person. Make (laughs) friends like that, right? Well, James, what are you doing talking to me, Seth? (laughs) (laughs) Sam Stone, go get him. Have fun tonight. Good luck, and uh, Happy New Year. We'll talk to you in the next year. You too, Seth. Steve Hayward coming up, folks. He's always fun and smart. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.